0: Hello, Malcolm here, and welcome to this fourth class in the series called The Glory Will Be Greater on the book of Haggai for the Thames Valley Churches of Christ this autumn 2022. And we've reached the end of the book, a short book, but packed full of wonderful spiritual lessons and inspiration for us all. We're looking at the last few verses of chapter two today. So let's, without any delay, get into it and see what God might have in mind for you and I to talk about and think about today. So here at the end of chapter two, we have the attention focused on Zerubbabel. And in verse 20, it says, The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time in the 24th day of the month. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots. And their drivers, horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty how would you feel? How would you feel with that affirmation, that sense of being chosen by the Lord? I wonder how Zerubbabel felt. And I'm going to speculate a little bit here, but reading a little bit of what we see in the text and perhaps a bit what I think is behind the text, I think there's some great lessons for us and hopefully some encouragement to us as we contemplate uh, what Haggai's message was to Zerubbabel and then what it might be to us in very different contexts in uh, in the times in which we live. And yet, there are some spiritual principles that I believe are uh, uh, that, that are as relevant today as they ever were for Zerubbabel and Haggai, all the people of Israel right then. And the key thing I want to talk about today, I only have really one point today, which is simply this: that God uses <laughs> God uses everybody. God has, in a sense, faith in everybody. God believes in everybody. God has hope for everybody. God has vision for. Everybody, God knows that everybody can be useful in his kingdom, can bless other people, can let the light of God and light of the light of Christ shine through them to other people, can be the channel through which the streams of living water from Jesus flow through them, the Spirit flowing through them to bless, to water, to give, uh, to satisfy the thirst of other people. God believes that for every single of his followers and that includes me, and it includes you. Yes, you. You personally. Not the person sitting next to you, or the person you thought of when you were thinking about someone who God could use, but you. See, God has, God's an, an equal hope opportunity God, right? He doesn't have favorites. He didn't doesn't make, what if somebody once say, God don't make junk. He don't make junk, and the world damages us, it's true, but any of us, can be useful to him any of us we any of us can have that we have the the gift of the spirit and therefore we have the fruit of the spirit and therefore we're able to be a channel for god for good in in and healing and salvation in all of its senses in this world and, and and this is what i think we see in this passage so let me explain a little bit about why i think this comes out of this passage as much as any other parts of the bible too you think see god is uh, inspiring through haggai God is inspiring a very flawed leader. And you don't have to be a leader for this to be relevant to you, because this is really about how God views people in general. But here's Haggai coming. He's already been speaking to the people and to the priests. But now he comes to Zerubbabel here, who's a governor, secular. And he is, I'm sure he's a spiritual man, but he's got a secular role, is my point. Earlier on, God has spoken to, through Haggai to the priests specifically and to the people in general. And from time to time in the book of Haggai, he's also spoken to Zerubbabel. But here it's very, it's very personal, and I like this. It's, it's actually my favorite part of the book. This is God speaking personally to Zerubbabel. And you and I have got to put ourselves, in a sense, in his shoes to hear what's, being, what's going on here. Because, so, a bit of background. Zerubbabel is currently here the governor of Judah. But prior to this, he was in exile along with all the other people of God. So they've only come back from exile, uh, what, about 15 years before this. So he was in exile, grew up in exile because his grandfather was taken into exile. So his grandfather was King Jehoiakim. And King Jehoiakim was the king who was uh, the king at the time when the people of Israel were taken into their final Uh, phase of their exiles taken into Babylon. So King Jehoiakim was taken into Babylon by the Babylonians in that exile of 597 BC. So granddad was the last king of Israel. So he was, you could say, the grandson of a failure, the king who lost the kingdom, the king who it all ended with that king. I mean, that's not a great heritage. You know, when we talk about our moms, dads, grandparents, you know we have varied stories, uh, but it, if you have a story like this, you probably wouldn't tell it at parties. Yeah, my granddad—he's the one that lost the kingdom, so that's his heritage. Uh, he is the the grandson. You can look that up in uh, Second Kings twenty-four if you want to uh, look at a bit more the background there of Nebuchadnezzar and what happened. So that's his grandfather. So he's a—he's the grandson of a failure. Not only that, he's grown up in exile in a place where. Uh, the people of Israel were not the people of Israel. So his his understanding of what it means to be the people of Israel has been greatly shaped by that. And indeed, his name, <laughs> he's uh, he's been given a Babylonian name. Do you remember Daniel and his friends got, got names from uh, their captivity? Well, same thing is happening here with Zerubbabel. And his name actually means descendant of Baal. So his name is descendant of Baal, one of the... False pagan gods that Israel worshipped, which took them into exile in the first place. So he's got the name of a pagan god. I mean, this isn't is not great for someone who's of the people of Israel. That's his exile name. So he's got a he's got a rubbish name. He's got a rubbish heritage. He's grown up in exile, and to cap it all, he's been back in. Jerusalem for 15 years and done as far as we can tell nothing that he was meant to do in terms of rebuilding the temple and establishing God's presence in Jerusalem. That's why they were brought back from exile. God brought them back as he promised to Jeremiah you will come back and they've come back now to Israel to Jerusalem to the site of the temple and you and I know if you've been you know you've listened to the earlier classes and you've read the rest of the book of Haggai They've been questioned. Is this the time to live in your panelled houses while my house remains a ruin? The glory will be greater, but right now the glory is nothing because my temple, my house, God says, is just a pile of stones. Isn't it time? Haven't you been paying attention to what I've been doing here by not allowing you to have the crops you would expect and all the problems that they have? They've not been paying attention. Now, you could say that Joshua... Uh, son of Jehoshaddak, the high priest, and the other priests could have uh, more responsibility for sorting this out than anybody. But God doesn't let anybody off the hook. It doesn't matter if, if you're a priest, uh, if you're like an average member of the, uh, the, the populace in Jerusalem, of the people of God, or whether you are Zerubbabel, you should know better. God has something in mind, and you know why you came back from exile. And yet 15 years have gone by, nothing appears to have been done. So here you are, Zerubbabel, you got Haggai, wandering around all over the place, pre, uh, prophesying and uh, encouraging and inspiring people. And that's all good. But I wonder if Zerubbabel needed this extra word from God, because the work was not yet finished here. He needed someone like Haggai, God to come through Haggai and say, you know what? I, I know about your failures. I know about your granddad. I know how you grew up. I know you've got this, this rubbish name. And I know that you did nothing for 15 years. I know all those things. But it makes no difference to how I feel about you, about my vision and my hopes. He says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. And this is eschatological language. This is the language saying, I'm going to do a special thing, something that the world is going to see. And ultimately, that will be Jesus and the outpouring of the Spirit. But it's also about just God being with his people. I'll overturn royal thrones. Yeah, you've got your royal throne. It doesn't look very spectacular, but don't worry about that. I'm in charge of the kingdoms of the world. I'm going to overthrow chariots and their drivers, the horses and their riders, These, those who would threaten your own security. Don't worry about them. I'll take care of them. And of course, in a way, he's reminding Zerubbabel of the victories of the past when God overcame and the Israelites overcame all the odds stacked against them because God was with them. And uh, each by the sword of his brother on that day declares, and look at this, Lord Almighty declares the Lord, I've chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. God is saying again and again, I am the one choosing you. I am the one who is with you. I'll take you, declares the Lord. I'll make you my signet ring, special, chosen. I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. God is involved. You see, we're involved in our failures, it's true. We're involved in our sins, that's true. But God is in control of, and he is involved in, our changes, our repentance, and our rebirth and renewal, and, and the recovery of hope for the future. The Lord Almighty will see to it. He'll see to it that for Zerubbabel, the glory in the future will be greater than the present and the past, just as he will that the glory will be greater for the people of God in the future than it has been in the past or even will be now. That that will be different to what they've experienced because this temple will not be as glorious as Solomon's. The wealth of Solomon's kingdom will not come again to Israel. It won't be that kind of glory. It'll be a different kind of glory, but it will be God's glory. So let me offer you to close um, a thought about how we how we change the way we're thinking about ourselves and God's thinking about us. I hope you would agree with the things I've said so far, that God has hope in you, even if you don't have hope in yourself. But what do we do? So let me take you to Philippians chapter 3 for a moment here and the example of the Apostle Paul and see if this might resonate with you. So in Philippians chapter 3, and verse 13 and verse 14, Paul says this, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So, what is he doing here? He's doing two things, Paul. He's forgetting some things and he's pressing on to others. So, forgetting. And, and pressing on. So it's not about blindly forging ahead. And it's also not about wallowing in the past. But there's a deliberate forgetting and then a deliberate and very specific turning forward, forging ahead. So, what has he got to do? Paul, in this situation, and many of us too, I think, we need to forget our guilt of past mistakes and sins. We also need to forget our pride over our victories and growth. <laughs> so, forget your guilt forget your pride. You say, well, that's easy to say rather than do. I entirely agree. So what do we do? Here is where mindfulness with God is very helpful. A mindful time of reflective prayer can be very helpful for this kind of thing. Let me give you a quote from a book called Introducing Christian Mindfulness by Richard Johnston. It's a good book. Uh, uh, Not a big book. Uh, I got the Kindle version. A while ago, and he talks about Christian mindfulness as being useful for this kind of thing, getting out of a rut. Mindfulness helps reduce, ru- reduce rumination and regrets about the past. And he asks, but how? He says, instead of going over and over past events, regrets and disappointments, we can observe the first thought you notice when you're going back that way, is what he's saying, and watch it come and go out of awareness. There's my regretful thought. It's come, it's gone. I don't have to inhabit it. I don't have to hold on to it. I can observe it. As we operate from what is sometimes called the observer self, we can step back from unhelpful rumination, which can very quickly draw our mood into a low and depressed state. So he's talking there about learning to notice these regrets and guilt and and those kinds of and pride, perhaps from the past. Notice it, but not dwell on it. You might like to get a copy of that book to find out more about ways in which that can be achieved. But that's the first step, is to, uh, is to forget the guilt and the pride, and then to press on. To press on to what? To win Christ. And I think this is very important because this verse is sometimes used in general about spiritual ambition, and fair enough. But the specifics of what Paul wants here is that he wants to know Christ. He wants to get the prize for which Christ has or God has called him heavenwards. In fact, I think what he's really saying here, he wants all of Christ. He wants as much of him as he can get, both in his sufferings and in his resurrection in the context of that passage. Francis Chan says this in his book, Until Unity. He says, it's rare to meet people who have the ambition to be hated and mistreated like Christ or the prophets. It's rare to find someone whose ambition is to suffer and die like the apostles. Now, he's making the point here that, uh, like I said earlier, that Paul wants Christ more than he wants achievement. And it's okay to want to achieve great things for God. I, we, we need more family groups. We need more locations. We need you know, Let's spread the gospel as much as we can. But that ambition is fueled by the underlying foundational ambition to want Christ, to want all of him, as much of him as we can get, including his sufferings and including his resurrection, the power of the resurrection that enables us to handle the suffering that is part of life, life in general, and especially life as a Christian. This is how we press on. We want him. We want Christ. And this is why our times of quiet with God are so important. How can I have any ambition for God unless it's rooted in an ambition to be with him? It's one thing I seek, right? One thing I ask of the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Seek him, uh, gaze on his beauty and seek him in his temple. That, that's all I want. And if that is all we want, then we will be fueled with the ambition to build, whether it's a, a physical temple uh, for Haggai and his people or whether it's something else for you and I to do in our current day and age. So let me finish with a few uh, points for reflection and discussion. Prayer, uh, focus, or uh, conversations with friends, and this is from the whole series, actually, not just from what we looked at here today. But firstly, firstly, this I would, as you read through the Book of Haggai, one of the things you notice is how much it's focused on God Himself. So my question might be: To what extent are you and I talking about God, and indeed teaching about God when we have the opportunity? In other words, not just teaching truth, or talking truth, but talking about God himself, Father, Son, and Spirit. The phrase the Lord Almighty is used 14 times in the book of Haggai, in that short little book. The Lord Almighty. And it's really important that we are a people who talk about God, not just about God-type things. Secondly, do you and I, do we really believe that the future will be better than the past and allow it to be a different future from the past or the present. What is that different vision where you are? What's different from the past? What's different from the present that you could see God doing through you and your friends locally? What is that vision? It will be more glorious. It may not be the same way glorious as the past, but it, it can be more glorious glory is greater and thirdly if you are a Zerubbabel uh, you feel like you're flawed you've made many mistakes and that's probably most of us feel this a lot right from time to time especially as older Christians if you're a Zerubbabel person or a Zerubbabel leader or a Zerubbabel type Christian will you allow God to infuse you through his word part of the purpose of God's word is to enthuse in you and to convince you that God trusts, believes in, hopes for, has a vision for you. Would you let God do that? It can be scary to let God really enthuse you, inspire you. Is there any guilt or pride from the past that you need to process, that you need to become more mindful of and learn how to let go of? What will help you to maintain a zeal, to press on to the goal marker which is Christ to press on into him as much as we, we possibly can in this life and just think about Haggai have a look at Haggai as a character and as a person perhaps you might like to also discuss where you are strong and weak compared to Haggai pointing people uh, uh, the people of God to God is something he does sustaining the people of God in their work for God is something he does Deepening the convictions of the people of God we looked at last time, and here inspiring flawed leaders of the people of God to have the courage to let God use them, uh, having chosen them. You know, one of the most remarkable things about Haggai is that he, from what we can tell, his ministry of prophetic ministry lasted 15 weeks, something like that. Not long, just a little over a year, from the first prophecy to the last one, and then we don't hear any more. 15 weeks of work for God but he left a legacy that lasts to this day you and I have periods in our lives when God uses us, maybe now's a time like that and what you do now in the next 15 days or weeks or or months, whatever this time can have an impact in eternity let's speak of God, let's speak of God with conviction, with love and honesty so that the glory will be greater in the future than it ever was in the past. I hope you found this series helpful. I've thoroughly enjoyed preparing it. It's been a great blessing and a challenge to me too. Uh, I have one last question. What would you like more teaching on as we make plans for the rest of this winter and going into next year? Are there topics or parts of the Bible you would like to have more teaching on? So please let me know. You can email me malcolm at malcolmcox.org. Send your suggestions to me. I'd be really grateful. Thanks so much. Enjoy your discussions over the book. Take care.